A good morning to you all. Um, yes, a bit of thank you, Bruce, for the intro. For those that don't know me, my name is Joel Robinson. Uh, I've been um, coming to this church, I calculate, I think, something like 13, 14 years in total, with a couple of gaps in between where I went to South Sudan for a year and when I was um, flatting in the city. Um, but it, it feels like a home. It's a, you know, a really important part of my life. Um, and really, it's, it's a privilege to both serve in the worship team, but a privilege to speak to you this morning. Um, for those who were here last week, um, Trevor shared a fantastic message entitled, All My Changes Were There. And as a summary of one snapshot of it, um, we are to be going to God, to be changed by Him, so that when we are in the world... We aren't being transformed by the world, but instead we are you know, transforming the world. And actually this was particularly encouraging for me because over the sort of last few weeks I've been you know, mulling up, you know, June 20th is coming up, I'm speaking, what am I going to speak about? Uh, I had a number of different sort of ideas and things on my heart, but wanted to, as much as possible, try and sort of mesh in with what has been sp- spoken about in the last few weeks. Um, and particularly sort of a couple of weeks ago, had the words incremental change on my heart. And so when Trevor's message was largely about change, it was like, oh, awesome, that's really encouraging. <laughs> so unlike Trevor, though, I, I don't have a funny story or a witty joke uh, with an intelligent pun delivered as part of the punchline, which Trevor is the master of. Um, but uh, stories are powerful, so I did want to... Um, start the morning with something different, with a video that I watched recently. But before we get to it, um, let's start with the words. So 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. If you're following along in your Bibles, you're welcome to flip to it, but it'll be up on the screen as well. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Or as some other versions read, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And I particularly love that, um, that statement. As we contemplate God's glory, his majesty, as we dwell on him, his word, spending time talking with him, being changed by him, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This isn't a call to inaction. Quite the opposite, it's a call to action. And it's also an encouragement to strive to be more like Christ. It's, if you like, an encouragement for us to undergo incremental change. Um, Now we'll play the video and I'll, I'll talk at the end. On October 6, 1999, Chris Nickich became one of about 6,000 babies born in the U.S. each year with Down syndrome, a condition that often results in cognitive impairment, developmental disabilities, and in some cases, heart defects. He was born with two holes in his heart. And so he had open heart surgery um, at just under five months. So that was his first challenge. They have things like small ear uh, canals, which means the slightest little cold turns into something big. And so he's been sick his whole life. Nothing's gonna hurt, sweet pea, okay? Heart surgery, four major ear surgeries, therapy sessions just to learn how to hold a fork, Nothing has come easy for Chris. When you have a child with Down syndrome, you don't fit in. They don't get invited to parties. They don't get invited to anything. I remember one time he said uh, a kid called me stupid and ugly. And I said, well, how did that make you feel? He looked up and he said, it made me feel not happy. 
Everything you do is a challenge, it's a fight. Um, other fathers don't get to experience that. You have to battle everything in order to, to, to just get them to be included. When doctors say I can do anything, the first thing came out of my mouth. Don't talk to doctors. Chris loved basketball and golf. But in 2017, Chris's dad, Nick, discovered a special Olympics triathlon program. What happens if I beat you? The first step was we said, look, let's go find something we can do together, right? Because I know he likes to have fun. And I know we needed to interact together. And it was just the most amazing thing that's ever happened. When he first started, Chris could barely swim the length of a pool or even run a mile. He couldn't pedal a bike more than a few yards without falling. But he kept practicing. The reason it takes kids with Down syndrome forever to learn how to bike is they have poor balance and their reaction time is slow. Come on, finish it! His first competition out of the 10 athletes in our area, he came in dead last. And he was happy when he got his award and we praised him because he didn't quit. They helped me, they encouraged me. And because of all this, I'm included. Come on! But Nick Nickage wanted his son to take the next step in his training. He found Dan Greeb, a veteran of 15 Ironman triathlons. I had never met someone with Down syndrome, and the first thing he wants to do is give me a hug. <laughs> you know, and he says, what's up, man? And he gives me a big hug. Come on. Oh, come on. All right, you did it. In October 2019, Nick came up with a life-changing idea for Chris. I thought, what if Chris could do something that's never been done? What an impact that would have on his life and others like him around the world. So then I said, look, what if we just do an Ironman? He says, okay, what's that? I said, well, it's just a little longer than a sprint. And he said, okay, let's do it, Dad. We're gonna wear the tether or something today, but it's not a punishment. It's so you and I can get used to it in case we need it, okay? Because in the race, I might get tired and I might need you to help me, or you might get tired and you might need my help, okay? I thought he was insane. Even someone without a disability couldn't go from nothing to an Ironman without like essentially killing themselves. One more time, down, up. There were other doubters too. When Grebe sought the advice of his own Ironman coach to help create a training plan for Chris, the coach refused. Coach says, no, I'm not designing a plan. I said, why not? He said, he just, he can't handle the ocean swim. It's too dangerous. And, and then he's gonna fail. And then I said, um, do me a favor. Let me just answer this question for me. I said, if Chris was a 20 year old without Down syndrome, would you design a plan for him? He says, I would. I said, okay, I need you to give my kid the same chance you would give anybody else. That's his whole year plan. Every day he stands up there and writes down what he achieved for the day. Here are my three dreams actually to get this house and to get a car and then to marry a smoking hot one from Chicago. And then the goal is um, Iron Man in November 7. We have to get 1% better every day. I came up with this concept called 1% Better, uh, a way to track progress a little bit at a time, not to overwhelm anybody, not to make it too big a deal. He's not making huge gains, but he's building small levels of foundation that over time 
become so strong that they overwhelm and that when he completes this Iron Man, he can complete anything. His dreams become possible. So I've skipped the middle part here and we, we come to the end of the Iron Man. As we finished, I said, Chris, this is your moment. Go have it. And I let him go ahead of me. Chris Bickage! And we heard those famous words. You are an Iron Man! The greatest thing that Chris did by crossing that finish line is he provided hope. I'm so Put proud of you. Put your hand together Dad, again! Right For the history of the When I saw him coming towards the finish line, I started first thinking about other parents and their little kids with Down syndrome can now look at Chris and say, our child can accomplish something. Pretty, uh, pretty moving video. Could almost sort of st stop there, perhaps, almost, and, and get, get a point across. Um, In your own time, I'd, I'd really actually encourage you to watch the full video. It's called um, 17 Hours Chris Nikic's Iron Man Story. Um, yeah, he was the first person with Down syndrome to complete an Iron Man. Um, first actually to attempt it even, um, and, and also the first to complete it just in November last year. And because of Chris's issues with balance, as I mentioned, it took him a long time to learn to ride the bike. But as part of that, he was also um, unable to eat or drink while riding. And if you imagine, you know, you're on this long 17-hour race. They actually have a 17-hour time limit to do it, and he did it with 15 minutes to spare. During, during that, um, you know, while he's on the bike, he can't actually eat or drink while, while riding because of his issues with balance. So every time, you know, you have to, take, you have to, have to stop to take on, on food and, and drink, which obviously extends your time out quite a bit. Um, but during one of those stops, actually, he, because his um, shoe on his bike was a bit uncomfortable, he took it off and adjusted it. And as he was t uh, taking it off, he stood on a mound of, a mound of fire ants, um, and they you know, swarmed his foot. Um, and the, the guy, Dan Grebe, who's his trainer, says during the video that at the end of the race, he had blisters all over his foot like that from the, the poison of the fire ants. So to, you know, to do that before you've started, your marathon run to finish the race is just unbelievable for someone even that's got, you know, years and years of, of, um, of training and, and skill from doing that. So um, quite, quite amazing. I mean, there's so many great messages or parallels that we can draw from the video, such as, you know, determination to not give up and to pers persist through all odds, to not let your circumstances, your inadequacies or your situation define you. Um, to ignore the doubt and unbelief of others, the list goes on. But what I wanted to focus on specifically this morning is on their thinking on the training. Um, I cut the section out, but Chris trained 13 of every 14 days for a year and a half for the 3.9-kilometre swim, 180k bike ride, and 42-kilometre run or marathon run to finish. Um, prior to that, had barely ridden a bike, never swum that far or run that far, and you know, those, those distances in isolation sound are like monumental feats, at least to me. I mean, has, has anyone in here actually done any, you know, done a 3.9-kilometre swim before? Or a 180k bike ride, perhaps? One or two, yeah. Out about a, a marathon run, yeah? A few. How about, has anyone actually done an Ironman? 
or an iron woman. No one. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a phenomenal feat. I mean, the task in its fullness is pretty daunting. You know, to face the prospect of, you know, hey, do you want to do an Iron Man in a year and a half? It's like, that's, uh, that's pretty extreme. Um, and probably, I'd say that is one of the best tangible representations of, you know, the um, best way to eat an elephant is in, in small bites, that, that aim of, you know, getting 1% better every day. So, yeah, so Chris started out really small. Um, and they had, he and his father, that mantra of that 1% better every day. And that's the part that stuck with me. It didn't matter where he was currently, where the starting point is. What mattered was starting itself and the commitment to improvement, to development, a theme, if you like, of incremental change. It's easy to be put off by the enormity of the task or the consequences, but how much more manageable is starting with one push-up or a short jog? And they, they said during the documentary, couldn't even do a push-up to, to start with. And here he is, you know, years later completing an Ironman. Um, you know, we read stories in the Bible of Christ and his followers performing miracles, being beheaded, crucified upside down, imprisoned for the physical outworking of their faith. And you know, those things are pretty daunting to most of us. Um, you know, those stories of the iron men and women of the Bible. The thought of being killed for your faith in a peaceful Western country like New Zealand feels pretty radical. You know, it feels unrealistic. Are we prepared to sacrifice everything for our faith because we are so committed to our faith? And perhaps that's a tough question to answer honestly because most likely many of us will never actually face that sort of extreme scenario. But I don't know about you, but how many of us um, feel like we are far from an Iron Man level commitment to our faith? I certainly feel like I have areas, big areas of inadequacy. So Christ talked about faith as small as a mustard seed being able to move mountains in, in Matthew 17. And we have the, uh, the tiny seed that, as you may know, um, grows into the actually potentially quite a large tree. Um, particularly you know, when you're looking at relative to the size of the seed itself. Now, even a little faith is sufficient to achieve great things or to start the chain of events necessary to break down, to move, to create, or to grow significant things, like the growth of a mustard seed into a great tree. So back to the idea of incremental change, how can we undergo incremental change in order to develop our relationship with God and further the role that we have here to play on earth? Well, here are a few suggestions. Number one, focus to building godly habits and routines, and importantly, also removing ungodly ones. Like many of us in the past, I've made New Year's resolutions to do certain things. All of us here made New Year's resolutions to, to do things and then not followed up and, and, and done them. Um, you know, a classic is the gym membership, um, where um, you know, there have been times where I've managed to stay committed to this for a reasonable length of time, um, going to the, you know, the gym the same day each morning or um, during um, the, the lunch break at work, and you know, having that regularity you know, helps with removing the need to think about 
think about it, you know, of when to go, and then it, you know, can become second nature a bit. But it's important to remember that our habits and routines shouldn't just focus on one area of our faith, lest we build up a biblical knowledge like this, supported by a prayer life looking like this. Trevor brought up the topic of TV media last week, and my view is that this is a big area of difficulty for many Christians. How many of us have a subscription to or access to some sort of TV on demand service like Netflix, Neon, Lightbox, Sky Go, Spark Sport, TVNZ on demand? The list goes on. There's a lot of options out there. And how easy is it you know, with that, um, that flexibility that comes from having access to that sort of service, to build a habit of spending time you know, watching a few episodes um, each night or multiple nights a week um, of TV drama, of sports highlights, of news, reality TV, sci-fi, you know, the list, list goes on, instead of spending time with God. It's not necessarily that what you're watching is something evil or bad. You know, take sport, for example, the Euros. Is anyone watching the Euros at the moment? <laughs> yep, yep, definitely not evil because I'm watching it. Um, I'm a big football fan, as, as many know. Um, you know. I don't think there's anything wrong inherently with sport, and I think it can be a really healthy actually, way for people to um, exp- you know, get that fulfillment of the competition. Um, but it can be so easy for time spent watching these things, um, thinking about these things even, to surpass the time that we spend in the Word, the time that we spend talking with God, um, or filling our mind with other godly content, be it podcasts or, um, or YouTube videos on things to do with, with God and His goodness. And it comes to that point where you know, you're having to, to break habits that you don't even realize are there. Um, I mean, we could probably, if we sat down and really thought about it, we could probably identify that we have a lot of habits that we don't actually realize are habits until you stop and reflect on it. We all know the damage done by um, addictions to unhealthy things such as smoking, to drugs, to excess food, to alcohol. You know, these things occur, the damage from these things rather, often occurs from incremental change. Either it can be, you know, the compounding usage um, over time, so you know, it's one beer this weekend, then two the next, two the weekend after, and three the weekend after that until it develops into an addiction or an unhealthy habit. Or it can be the compounding effect of the usage. So, like for example, cigarettes. You know, it, as, as research shows, it doesn't take having to be a chain smoker for it to do damage. You know, it can be just one a day, um, even one a week over a long enough period of time, it will actually do you know real damage to us. So it doesn't necessarily need to be increasing amount of usage, it's just the damage of the usage over time. But of course the good news is that incremental change can be used to our benefit too. If we look at Chris Nickich, you know, his story of being 1% better every day, um, I think that is a fantastic example of how to really utilise small um, and compounding um, change to, to, to the benefit. So, you know, can we get up earlier 
to read the word. Perhaps it's five minutes earlier to start, or even two minutes earlier to start, to read just two minutes of the word, or speak to God for just two minutes more. Um, you know, can we start perhaps also by watching one less episode of our favourite TV show, or one you know, less um, highlights package from one of the games from, from the Euros, or uh, you know, cutting even your, your favourite show ten minutes short, to spend more time um, alone with God or, or with God as a family. The second suggestion is to connect your habits with purpose, or for us, really, our faith. So if we think about the routines or habits that we have in place, how do they connect with our purpose, our faith? If you're what, what you're doing on a regular basis each day doesn't fulfill a purpose in connection with your faith, then is it a routine or a habit worth having in place? <laughs> it's a challenge for me to, to think about that as, as, as much as anything. If we use the example of the gym again, you know, I struggled to remain committed to it, given I, I lost a sense of what I was going for, um, for what I was trying to achieve, and um, it's much easier to maintain good habits or even to build good habits in the first place if they're connected to something that we really care about, our purpose. Are there things that we are doing already on a regular basis, habits already in place, that you can somehow link in with your faith? When you're going for your regular morning coffee, like for me, I work in um, Queensgate, well, in the Queensgate Tower, rather, and there's, actually can't even remember the name of the cafe, I just know the people there, um, and I often go down there for, for a coffee, and over time, you know, you start to build that relationship with the person serving you, or the person, um, you know, the barista actually making the coffee, and it's an opportunity to get to know that person, you know. Coffee is generally pretty popular in Wellington. Is that you know, an opportunity for, for you, perhaps, to, to bring God's light into someone's life? And when you go for your morning run, for example, or evening run, can you pick up rubbish as you go? Can you be spending that time talking to God in prayer or praising God? And think creatively, is there something that you're doing currently as a family together that you can involve God in? My third suggestion, and this is one I really want to stress, is to build community. We aren't designed to go out alone. That much is clear. We are commissioned to go out and share the good news. As it says at the end of Matthew. And the reason I want to stress this point is because I believe that community has come under a lot of attack, not just in the Christian context, but actually in the wider world. And we're living in an increasingly digitally disrupted world. The change that we've been that we're seeing in, in the use of the digital realm has been underway long before COVID, um, but has certainly been accelerated by COVID with a lot of the um, fear um, in the community, social distancing, um, uncertainty and disruption around travel. You know, we're increasingly reliant on technology for our connection with others, and particularly so the younger we are. Not that you know, that is a, a bad, inherently a bad thing either, because, for example, for Tammy and I, with Tammy's family being in Brazil and in Spain, it's really the only way to to keep effectively connected, and we're so grateful often to be able to you know, see them virtually and to be able to talk to them. Um, but the thing is that digital communication 
you know, in community, it's never going to, well, my belief at least, is that it's never going to supplant physical interaction and relationships. One could argue that the potential for connection now is actually higher than it's ever been, given how easy it is to join niche social groups online, you know, even thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. But it's not authentic, or at least it's not as authentic as a personal relationship. And relationships are really important. Now, I've been playing football for the past four seasons and, and for much of my life, and um, proudly we're top of the table in our, in our league. Um, <laughs> and had a great last-minute, basically, I suggest don't watch the Euros, come and watch our football games, because um, yesterday, was a, we, uh, one of the guys in our team, it's a, it's a long-winded story, but had a bit of a redemption arc where he had played poorly in a previous game and scored a winning goal from a free kick right into the top corner of the goal. It was like something out, it was like something out of a highlight reel. We just couldn't believe it. Um, but the, you know, that, that winning as a team or that, um, that teamwork, the, the highs and the lows as a team, actually makes it so much more. You know, it's, it means so much more to win as a team than it does to win alone. As we know, though, community isn't just about us, it's not just about me and what, what I enjoy or what we enjoy. It's not about being inwardly focused on what I want. It's about having a focus to the growth and the benefit of others, being outwardly focused. Jesus' disciples' um, ministries, as detailed in Acts onwards, told of how they went out from where they were from. They didn't just turn up to church or a home meeting, as it probably would have been more likely, you know, each Sunday, and um, they didn't have an insular focus as if this was all God required of them. Instead, they were excited, they were energized to go out and share the good news, and we have much of the New Testament um, as testament to that. So how can we be bringing the love of Christ into our staff room, our conversations with clients, our conversations with our boss or bosses, people that we share the elevator ride with, colleagues, those that we sit next to on the train, those that we buy lunch off, um, those that we play sport with, those that, uh, whose kids our, our kids play sports with, um, our everyday conversation with friends, both those that know Christ and don't know Christ. Um, you know, often it can feel unnatural and uncomfortable to strike up a conversation. We might be tired, we might be worrying about tomorrow, about the future instead of being present now. We might be irritated or annoyed about something. Um, I encourage you, though, to actively seek out those uncomfortable moments, or at least to not take the comfortable, easy route, uh, or the safe option. I believe that the pursuit of comfort, while often glorified, is actually a delusional goal of the Western world that has crept its way into Western Christianity. You know, as, as part of culture, something you know, right to seek after, but almost nothing of Christ's ministry was comfortable. You know, Luke 9 verse 58, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, let alone a pillow. He was mocked, he was whipped, he was flogged, beaten, walked for miles on foot, which to, to us these days is a punishment. 
kicked out of towns. He was tempted with, um, without food for 40 days and nights. He spent time with the social rejects and the unloved, and he died strung up on a cross like a criminal. Not one bit of that sounds comfortable to me. We are told to live as Christ, yet for many of us, myself included, we pursue comfort. So how do we get familiar with or normalise then being uncomfortable? Can we perhaps all start by setting a goal of doing one thing every day that requires us to step outside our comfort zone? You know, this one thing being for the purpose of either growing our relationship with Christ or for the purpose of growing others' relationships with Christ. You know, the idea of that is that this should influence, change and benefit our community. As part of this, can I encourage you in the importance of holding yourself accountable to others? And we aren't in this alone, as I said before. You know, winning as a team is so much better than winning alone. You might be sitting there knowing you know, that honestly you're doing a great job of already bringing Christ into the world around you. But can we potentially also admit that we mostly go about this in ways that have become comfortable to us? You might be a real extrovert and you find it easy to strike up a conversation with a stranger in the lift and to bribe them with some encouragement, talking about what they've been doing during the week. Um, you might be earning a great income and so the cost of buying coffee for the next person in the line or next few people in the line is actually of no real consequence. So, how can you extend yourself? How can we extend ourselves? How can you, how can we instigate a culture of undergoing constant incremental change to grow from one degree of glory to another? I'll say that again. How can you extend yourself? How can you instigate a culture of undergoing constant incremental change to grow from one degree of glory to another? You know your situation better than I do. Let's put our minds this week to beginning or to furthering some incremental change in ourselves and bringing about incremental change in the darkness in the world around through the light that we carry. I plan to personally take up the challenge I've suggested of doing at least one uncomfortable thing every day and I'll be keen to report back in the future with some of the resulting stories that will hopefully be encouraging, will probably be embarrassing or awkward or frustrating. And I hope that others of you in the congregation might similarly take up that same challenge or a similar challenge. God bless you all, church. Have an inspired week. And I'll hand over to Bruce.